uh, one of the things one of the things that is different at Youth Ablaze is you have a ton of churches there, and they don't know. Most of them, I can't say all of them, but most of them do not know half the songs that you and I get to sing at church. Yeah. Uh, and so it is a blessing. You have a hymn book rich with songs like what we just sang, and they may not be the most familiar to you. That one is not a familiar one to me. I don't sing that one all the time. I told Brother Andrew, I said, hey, I'm having trouble remembering that. Uh, he's like, you've sung it before because we have. <laughs> Andrew, uh, and so, uh, but we did we did some songs, and I've already had different different men from their churches, from these other churches, that we did new songs again at Youth Ablaze. I surprise them every year. Brother Andrew and I work it up, and and we add things like "Tis marvelous and wonderful what Jesus has done for this soul of mine," and they didn't sing it. Nobody, probably two thirds of the crowd, had no idea what that song was before we sang it. Uh, Look ye saints, the sight is glorious was the one that we added last year and, and I was amazed that nobody had known it. Uh, our church, I think, might have been the only church that knew Look ye saints, the sight is glorious. I thought, Phew. and what that is, is that is just a sad reality of uh, a lot of churches, they don't push to gain those new songs and they don't go to learn more and uh, when a church starts out small, you only learn a few so that you can get people used to singing. Uh, but you got to start expanding, and I'm glad that we keep doing that. And so I appreciate I appreciate that. I'm also really grateful for Brother Larry. He took Sunday school, and you got done on time, man. That was impressive. Brother Larry kept telling me he wasn't going to be able to finish on time this morning. He cranked out his lesson this morning, uh, and so I blame me entirely. So don't worry. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, if you would. Ezekiel chapter 28, um, for those that have been here, you already know uh, the direction we're going this morning, and uh, for those who, uh, who are visiting or have not been here on a Sunday morning last uh, few weeks, we've been doing uh, ultimately some very basic doctrines on Sunday mornings. Uh, I wanted to incorporate this uh, as ultimately our church constitution has our statement of faith as a church the things that we believe and why we believe them and uh, I kind of spurred in my thought process uh, holes that were in some people's lives that I had talked to and I thought boy we need to make sure all those holes are filled all right I don't want any of those things missing we were talking about uh, the idea of um uh, of foundations with the preaching classes and having that first level foundation to make sure all those pieces are right. Well, this is the foundation of the church, ultimately, of what we believe and why we believe it and all those things. So we've covered the Bible and the King James Bible in particular. We've covered uh, dispensations, which was uh, a couple of weeks. That took me a couple of weeks to get through. We covered the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and the dis dispensations and how God has ordered those things and then uh, give you a great understanding of the Bible. Uh, last week we got to talk about God and the one God in three parts, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and how they all work together wonderfully, and that they are one God, and uh, He is the creator of the universe, and they've worked together to do that, and Jesus Christ comes into the world to save sinners, and how He accomplished that through the, through the Godhead and the marvelous grace of a wonderful God. And this morning... I have the uh, distinct privilege of preaching on the devil, and uh, I have no, I, I've been praying a lot, and I asked you all to pray for me, because normally this is about the time that all these things go, and he wants to mess it up, all right? And so, uh, that's just how it is. He does not like light shined upon him. He is darkness, and he does not like light. And so, we're going to open the scriptures today, and we're going to shine some light on our adversary, the devil. And Ezekiel chapter 28 gives us some amazing light upon him. And uh, verse number 11, we'll start there. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, I'm going to pause right here. Uh, his statement is, uh, Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, people go, Well, see, he's talking to the king of Tyrus. 
Uh, no, he's not talking to the king of Tyrus. Uh, you're going to find the description afterwards has nothing to do with the king of Tyrus. Uh, he's addressing the devil in the man. He's addressing who he is talking to is in the passage, and we'll find him uh, as we look at it. And he's, of course, talking about Lucifer, who becomes Satan, or the devil, or uh, the serpent, or he's got lots of titles, right? He's the prince of this world. Uh, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world. He is the enemy of our, uh, of our god and of his Christ. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is, we can go through the litany of names the Lord gives him. He is the tempter. He is all of those things. Uh, but the truth is, here he is in description of ultimately where he starts from. And let's uh, keep reading. Notice who he is. Verse number 12, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that's obviously not a reference to the king of Tyrus. He was not in the garden of Eden. <laughs> but the serpent was. Uh, Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius topaz and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more." Uh, this is Lucifer. This is who he is. Now, uh, ultimately, this is the description of him physically as the anointed cherub that covereth. And we're going to cover uh, his beginnings, and we'll cover all the way from his beginnings to his ending. Uh, and so you've got to bear with me a little bit. I'm going to try to be quick. I'm going to say a lot of things. All right. I will try and slow it down as much as I can without keeping you here all morning, all right, uh, into the late afternoon, okay? Uh, so we'll see. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to look at ultimately our greatest adversary and the Lord's great adversary. Father, I do pray you would just grant me wisdom as I preach. Father, help me to say what you want me to say, and Lord, that it would be, uh, Lord, easily understood that I would not say anything, Lord, that I shouldn't, and that I would say each each piece would go in place just the way that it should so that we can shed light upon, Father, what we deal with in this life as our great adversary and the accuser of the brethren. And Lord, we pray that you would just grant us wisdom as we look at the scriptures today. I pray that you would lighten our eyes. I pray if someone here is without Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that, uh, Lord, the light of the glorious gospel would shine in their hearts and they would see Jesus Christ as who he really is, that the blindness the devil would want to put in their way would be removed and that you would show forth your light to them and they would trust Jesus Christ alone to save them. Father, I pray for the Christian, they would recognize some of the things that happened in their life and the work that the devil is trying to do through the way that he operates so that we can go ahead and have victory, Lord, over the things he would rather have us do. Father, we do pray you would bless our day today. Work in hearts, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so here you have the description of the start of Lucifer. Uh, he starts off as Lucifer. Uh, he ends up as Satan, the serpent, the devil. Uh, here's his opening. This is probably the greatest description that you have uh, outside of maybe Isaiah chapter 14 gives you some light and we'll be going there eventually. Uh, but here he is. God's description of Satan's start is that he is full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's pretty high praise. Uh, you know, people like to think of, of uh, the, the, the devil as just, you know, uh, they get this image, right? He's, he's the dude in the red suit with the tail and the pitchfork, right? That's what they think of him. That's how, that's how they perceive him. That is nothing of what Lucifer is. He's none of that. 
You look at this description and he is an absolutely beautiful creation. He is the pinnacle of what God designed when he started. That's what Satan was. Lucifer is the pinnacle of God's design. Every precious stone, he is perfect in wisdom. God's statement about him is, thou art wiser than Daniel. Well, Daniel was, was proclaimed and held up as, his, as the, one of the wisest men to ever live. Lucifer is wiser than Daniel. He starts off with all wisdom. He starts off with perfect in beauty. He is not an ugly, grotesque thing. It was part of what God's design was. He made him beautiful. His job was to be ultimately the embodiment of beauty for what God had created. So he covers him in all these precious stones and all of the, all of the glory and the greatness of what he gives him. And uh, we, you know, we try to look nice. Uh, you know, a woman on her wedding day, getting ready, she wants to look as absolutely beautiful and perfect as possible, right? The husband is standing up at the altar. He's waiting for his bride to come down the aisle and he's standing in the front and she steps in and his eyes light up and everything, right? The most beautiful thing he sees, boom, right there, all at once. You know what God's doing? God's covering it, covered Lucifer and all the precious stones. He's got everything all He's trying to make Lucifer the pinnacle, as beautiful as can be, as wise as can be. Notice, uh, not only does he have wisdom and he has beauty, but he also has, verse number 13, he's got pipes and tabrets. He's a musical creature. He is designed with music involved. Now, I'm going to step off to the side just for a moment. I don't preach a lot on music and I don't hammer it a ton, but you need to understand one thing. God is particular about His music. I am very thankful for Brother Andrew. Uh, he is very particular about the music that we sing and, and have here. Uh, you say, why? Because I want him to be, all right? Uh, I want him to be particular. You say, well, can't we get a little closer to the line? No, there's no reason to be close to the line. You know what happens when you get close to a line? You fall over it, all right? Uh, I don't need a breeze to push us over into some weird, awful music, okay? Uh, we, we did our best, especially with everything, uh, with Youth Ablaze and all those things. We try to make sure everything is as clean and as good as we can possibly make it. Whatever we can control, we make sure we have it under control. Uh, you say, well, you know, I don't like that I have to go to Brother Andrew and Pastor and talk to them about what I'm going to sing as a special. Well, then don't sing. <laughs> say, why? Because it's not your responsibility to protect what happens up here. It's ours. And Lord put us there to do those things. There are certain protections that are there. Why? Because your music affects great things. Know this, music has way more of an impact than you would like to think it does. I'll give you a wonderful example. Hollywood has it all figured out. If you walk in and you sit down at a movie and they want you to feel a certain way, they just play the music they want you to feel. You don't think music affects your mood? I don't know why I'm so agitated all the time. <laughs> Maybe you ought to check your music out. What you keep putting in is exactly what you're going to have. Why am I this? Why am I that? Why do I feel depressed all the time? Stop listening to country music. Anyways, um, good night. Why am I angry all the time? Quit listening to rock and roll and rap and all the garbage. Stop listening to it. And by the way, I'm going to slide this in just because I'm, I'm a little excitable still, all right? Uh, Youth Ablaze, I barely preached, all right? So uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm still, you know. And uh, so the truth is, guess what? Just because you slid Jesus in there doesn't make it good, all right? Uh, because notice, it's not about the words that Lucifer is saying. He's got pipes and tabrets. He's got the music that goes behind all of that. There's a reason it's all there. And you need to figure out what's good godly music and what's not. And I'm not going to preach on that. If you do have a question about it, I'll answer and Brother Andrew will gladly answer. Well, I have no problem with answering what music and how you can tell and all the things. I do that, I do that with people. I am not huge music. I am not. I don't have the education. Brother Andrew has the education. And I'm glad he does. But you can get the education. You can figure that out. You can look into it and what happened and why all these things. Uh, you just 
let's face it. You know very quickly when a hymn doesn't sound like a hymn anymore. Well, then you can tell the difference between good godly music and what's not. So, anyways. Whew, man. Brother Andrew, you're welcome. Um, slid all that in. Brother Andrew, he paid me to get all that in. Uh, that's part of him. He was designed for the praise and the worship of God. That was his design. By design, he is set up to do these things. Uh, he is also in an exalted position. In verse number 14, he is the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. God thought so much of the pinnacle of what he had designed that he makes him the highest rank of any of the angels that he has. He is not just the cherub. Now the cherubs we understand, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, and uh, you find out in, in uh, of course, Revelation, you've got four cherubs that are on the corners of the throne. That's where they are positionally. They're the closest ones to God. They surround His throne. In fact, the, the four of them ultimately carry the throne of God in Ezekiel. That's what they're doing. They're bringing the throne of God. Uh, they're they're his, ultimately His carriage uh, is what it is. And so as you look those guys over, you find they're very particular and very special. They are different than any of the other angels that God had made. And Lucifer is not only one of those, he is the special one out of those. There was a fifth cherub. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Say, what's he covering? It looks like he's covering the throne of God. He's above him. He got surrounded by these cherubs. He's got four on the corners, and then he's got one above him. And he's designed, and you say, well, what's he designed to do? He's designed to reflect and refract the light of God. He's covered in gems and stones and beauty. His job was to show off the glory of God throughout the creation and to sing praises to God. That looks like the design that he has right here. His start was amazing. His start looks fantastic. In fact, it is so good, verse 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. God's description of Lucifer was, you're perfect. God made him perfect. Perfect. That's the start of Lucifer. Lucifer was perfect. No flaw. Perfect. So what happened? Till iniquity was found in me. Well, where'd that come from? It came from a choice. You realize Satan decides he's going to choose what he's going to do. God introduces what ultimately is a test. He tested Adam and Eve. So why does he put a test in place? God has to put a test in place because love isn't love unless it's tested. Worship's not worship unless it's tested. There must be a choice. See, the Calvinist gets it very wrong. The Calvinist gets it wrong and they think that they're going to give God glory. They say, well, no, God has control of every decision and everything. And if God has control of everything and every decision and what God's will is, is final and it must be followed to the letter. And so you obviously uh, have to do what God said. And if all those things don't. Okay, that means that God, you realize this. This is the oddity. All right. Think about it just for a moment. All right. Uh, Let's say uh, you have. You have one choice this morning. What you wore to church today was exactly what God told you to put on. Okay? The route you took to church today was the exact route God wanted you to take. God knows every outcome. He knew what seat you were going to sit in, and so He put you. He told you to sit where you're sitting today. Now, number one, this already sounds ludicrous, right? This is just weird. But that's where you go with this. Now, ready? Now, which one gives God glory? If I could sit here and say, all right, brother, Joel is going to wear this and he's going to do this. And I know everything that's going to happen to Joel because on this one track that I have set up, that is what he is going to do. Or God's omniscient. We talked about him last week. He knows everything. Which is more glorifying? I know one track and one outcome. Or, I know if Joel does this, this, and this, and I give him three options, I know the outcome of all three of those. 
And then I know the outcome of three options off of all three of those. So now we're out to nine, then 27, and then whatever that is. 63, thank you. I'm trying to preach and do math in my brain, all right? And, and so it keeps going out, right? You start branching all of those out. Which one actually gives God glory? The second one. He may know what, the way that I take, but he didn't tell me which way to take. He didn't design it so that I must go his way. That doesn't give him any glory. What kind of glory is that? By the way, is it love if you don't have a choice of loving somebody? Is it worship if you don't decide to worship God that God forced you to worship him? Well, that's not worship. That's not, that's not true love. That's not true. The choice is all that is what matters to us. The, the test comes because the idea is, guess what? God wants you to choose him. He chose to come and die for your sins. He chose to give his life a ransom for many. He chose to lay it down so that you and I could get eternal life. And then he says, okay, now you get to choose. He chose to love us when we were unlovable. Now it's your turn. You get a choice. Adam and Eve got a choice. They failed at the choice. Lucifer gets a choice. Now God doesn't put in him the idea of sin. He doesn't go, hey, uh, Lucifer, don't you think you're pretty amazing? He didn't do that. That's not what he did. He just introduces the ability for Lucifer to make a choice. And Lucifer's there and you say, well, what happens to him? Well, Satan's sin shows up. In verse number 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Well, what was that iniquity? By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mount, mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. He says, you know what your problem was? You got lifted up. Thine heart was lifted up. It's pride. He says in Job that he's king over all the children of pride. You heard a message on that not too long ago. I'm not going to belabor this. Uh, I covered pride and I talked about Satan and the origins of pride and how when we're proud, we're ultimately going back under our old king. Uh, but here he is and he's king over all the children of pride now. But with this day, you know what he found? He goes, well, you know, I am quite beautiful. He looked in a mirror for a moment. And he thought, how wonderful I must be. He's over ultimately the creation of God. He's even above the throne of God geographically. And he's looking down and you know what he thinks just for a moment. All this greatness is me. What greatness did Lucifer have that didn't come from God? None. You realize that if you were to pick up a gemstone, you were to pick up a diamond, if you're in the dark, a diamond doesn't do anything. It doesn't shimmer and it doesn't shine. It has no, it has no light of its own. It has no real properties to be able to, to show you its greatness until you put it under the light and it starts to twinkle and sparkle for you. Lucifer's covered in all these gems and all these stones and he is absolutely beautiful, but without the light of God, he has nothing in beauty. Christian, we are nothing without him. When you get lifted up in pride, you know what you're thinking? I'm somebody and I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. I'm, I'm so great. I mean, look what I do. You know what the Lord will let you know very quickly? We are all replaceable. You say, oh, you're the pastor. Of the I'm replaceable. 
The Lord wants to remove me. He removes me and he puts another in my place and it would be as if nothing happened as far as God is concerned. I, I, can, be, I can be taken away whenever he wants me gone. Just like you can. Well, I'm far too important. Since when? You better take heed lest you fall. <laughs> Say, well, nobody can do what you do. A lot of people can do what I do. The Lord just gave me the privilege to do it. Oh, well, I, I mean, you know, you're, uh, oof, I mean, I had people coming up, Brother Andrew and I did for all of Youth Ablaze. Oh man, you guys are so great. You work so great together. Everything's wonderful. You know why we work great together? Because we're okay <laughs> with working, knowing who gets all of the praise. I don't, I don't need any praise. I don't need any accolades. Brother Andrew, you know what he wanted to do? He just wanted to play. He just wanted to just help. Hey, we can help. Brother Chad, he just, wants, he just didn't want it to die. So he's just a humble, he, Brother Chad is very humble. <laughs> he's very humble. Say, so why do you guys work well together? Because we both try to be humble. We may not succeed very well, but we try real hard. <laughs> and you, you say, what are you just trying to do? I'm just trying to make it so that the Lord gets all the glory in the front. Try and get him up front and try to stay behind him <laughs> as best we can so that they see him. You know what Lucifer's job was? To make it so that everybody sees God. But Lucifer decided, but they really see me. So I was talking with Brother Chad. I wasn't going to use this yet, but I'm going to use it right here. I'm working on a message just for this. So this illustration will come up again. Uh, it's, it's just so funny. So... Most of you probably were at Youth of Blaze or saw the live feed of Youth of Blaze uh, a little bit, maybe. If you didn't, you can go on YouTube. You can watch it if you want to. Um, but Uriah, Uriah was all about hanging out with Dad. All right? So he was up on the platform, and he was with me, and Brother Chad was fine with it. All right? It's his meeting. He can, do, he can let me do what he wants to let me do. And if he said no, I'd have kept Uriah down in the seats. All right? And I even did. I had to put him down there at certain times. I wasn't going to have him come up at certain times of the service because I didn't want him to be a distraction. But <clears throat> I don't remember what night it was. I don't know if it was Friday night or if it was Saturday uh, or what. He got a music. Brother Chad grabbed a music stand for Uriah. So Uriah could lead singing with dad, right? And so he sets the music stand up and it's off to the side of the pulpit. That wasn't good for Uriah. He kept moving it over. <laughs> and, and so uh, he, he goes ahead and, and Brother Eddie thought it would be a great idea to go ahead and grab the pulpit or grab the, grab the music stand, set it on the floor and raise it up so Uriah could stand right in the front so everybody could see him. And Uriah got mad at him. Melanie looked at Stephanie and was like, he's not going to like that. And he didn't. He didn't like it at all. And so he, got, he moved it back, and he got it back over. And he's on this side, and he's, he's moved. And you know what? Brother Chad called me. He said, you know, Uriah was my testimony after Youth Ablaze. And I thought, what in the world? I mean, he's just, I mean, he goes, all he wanted to do, he did not care if he was seen by everybody else. That wasn't why he was there. He was hiding behind the pulpit half the time. He just wanted to be close to his father and be just like his dad. And he goes, isn't that the aspiration of every Christian supposed to be? Get as close to the father and be just like him so that everybody can see him. Lucifer lost that. He goes, I want to be seen. I want to have the glory. I want to have the praise. I want. And the answer was, no, you can't have. And Lucifer doesn't like it. And he's lifted up in pride. And that pride is lifted up. And his heart gets lifted up. And it becomes a heart problem. You realize all sin starts in your heart? That's one of the things we learn uh, over, in, over in Redeeming Hope is your sin, the origin of all sin is it's in the heart. It's within first. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's the heart condition. It has nothing to do with everything else. You can look great on the outside and have the worst heart in the world. You can dress it up and look pretty and you can put on the shirt and tie, gentlemen, and we can walk in in the suit. Ladies can be in the best dresses and all the things and they can look gorgeous and amazing and wonderful and they can walk in and you know what? They can still have the worst heart in the world. And you can walk in in grubby jeans and a t-shirt and ripped all up and terrible and, and you can come in wearing whatever and still have the right heart and the Lord just touch you and you go ahead and do what he asked. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. It's a heart issue. Lucifer was a heart issue. Notice, it, it was in his heart first. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. It's internal before it becomes external. And so because it's internal, then all of a sudden he's got a will problem. The internal becomes the external. What am I going to do? Christian, you better stop it in the heart and fix it first. Otherwise, the outside will then be tainted. The heart better be close to the Lord, doing what He asked. Otherwise, you will be just like Lucifer. Uh, go over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. Here he is. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? God, speaking to Lucifer, Satan. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is the proclamation of Lucifer ultimately in his heart. But God knows his heart, right? God knows everything. And in his heart, you know what he says? I've got a plan. And his sin is ultimately that he wants to overthrow the God of the universe. And so he has his five I wills. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. He's ready to go. He's got a plan in mind. The heart has changed. He refuses to be the light bearer for God any longer and chooses instead to serve self over Savior. He chooses self over God and he chooses to go ahead and go that direction. And so what does he do? Well, notice I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover these quickly on what he wants. His will turns to the fact that he wants to rule. I will ascend into heaven. He's causing an invasion. <laughs> That's his look. His look is to invade the third heaven. He's going to take the throne from God ultimately at the end. Uh, he wants it. He will exalt his throne above the stars of God. Uh, he's looking to be above all of the angelic hosts, not just in power and status like he already has, but he wants to rule and reign over them as the one who tells them what they can and cannot do. He wants to be God, the designer of the one who lays down the rules. That is who he wants to be. He ascends into heaven. He wants to exalt his throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Uh, you start doing a word study on congregation. Uh, you can feel free to... You know what you'll find? You'll find ultimately it's administrating over groups of people. You know what he wants? He wants to give out all the orders... He wants to administer eight. He wants to go ahead and organize heaven the way he wants it. Isn't that funny? Well, God, you're just not quite doing it the way that I would. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Then he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now, people make that physical clouds. I don't think it is. Uh, you've heard this before if you've, if you've heard uh, anything I've done with uh, Lucifer before. He gets talking about the clouds. Now, uh, I'll give you a good example of it. Uh, the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, right? They've already Passover lamb slain. They come out, Egypt, Pharaoh, away they go. They run away. They're going. Uh, they get down. What is leading them during the day? Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
when Solomon dedicates the temple, when uh, Moses dedicates the tabernacle, when we can keep going, if you'd like, I won't. Uh, but what fills the place? A cloud fills the place. It's so much that it pushes everybody else out. And he says that the glory of God showed up. You say, what's Lucifer trying to take? God's glory. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll get more glory than God gets. That's what he wants. He wants praise. and Why? Because if you're a God, you want praise. And if you're God alone, then you get all the praise. And then I will be like the Most High. He wants God's position. He wants God's position as what? As the God of the universe, solely in charge of everything. He wants to depose the God that created him. So what's Satan's sin? To think that he could overthrow the God of the universe. You know, it's a sad reality in the life of Christians that God is gracious enough to let you overthrow him in your decisions all the time. You cast him off when it's convenient and you put him back on when you want him. We're more like the devil than we really want to claim to be. God's disposable to us until he becomes indispensable because you're in too much trouble and you need him. And when it's convenient for you, you decide, well, you know what, I'm going to, well, maybe I need you. (laughs) But don't worry, I got this today. Instead of resigning to his will every day, we go ahead and pick and choose which ones we like and don't like. Well, that puts us in the same boat as Satan. Choosing to overthrow the rule of God as opposed to trusting and believing that he is right. Man, this is a lot rougher than just Satan. I don't know where you're going with all this. You know, Satan's goal, you've got, you've got Satan's talked about that him where he started with all those wonderful heavenly honors and you've got you've got his sin that shows up but what's he doing right now what's the scheme he's got going he's trying to run something so that he can go ahead and gain all of the things that he has proposed to get right he has got this plan i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will be like the i will do these things well anybody who has a real plan or has a real goal, they have a plan to get to their goal, right? You're not like, hey, uh, I, I want, you know, this, and then you don't have a, you need a plan, right, to get from point A to point B. That's, that's the way you execute the plan. If you don't have a plan, you're wandering, and you'll never get anything done. Lucifer is not the type to just wander around and not get anything done. He is very purposeful. He is a committed enemy. And in doing so, he has a purpose and he wants to gain the victory over God. He is so determined that even knowing what the Bible says about his failings and his faults and his fall and his destruction, knowing the proclamation from God that he is going to lose, he still fights as if he's going to win. Because he doesn't believe that God can stop him. You say, that's crazy. No, that's the devil. He still thinks he can win. Say, really? Why wouldn't he? He is the anointed cherub that covereth. He is perfect and he thinks he can beat God then. What makes you think he's been dissuaded now? And so your great adversary, you know what he is trying to do? He is trying to win over and keep everybody under his control. Look over at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to give you some references to write down. I've got I've to move along. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says in verse number... Uh, verse number 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, 
It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You say, what's the devil trying to do? Well, to a lost world, you know what he's just trying to do? Keep them blind and in the dark. So that they don't see the greatness of Jesus Christ. So they don't see that there is a Savior who died for their sins and was buried and rose again the third day. So they don't see that a Savior came into the world to pay the debt of all of their sins and that He rose again to give them victory and that He is willing to forgive and to save to the uttermost all them that would call upon Him. His goal is to make it so that nobody would see that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That's His goal. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the free gift that is given. He's trying to just make sure nobody gets that at all. So he throws out religion and he throws out all these thoughts and he takes the scriptures and he rests them. He handles the word of God deceitfully so that he can gain certain aspects of their life, so that he can change their perception, so that they will not trust solely in Jesus Christ. He'll do whatever he can because as long as they don't worship Jesus, they're worshiping him. There's no other real option. There's only two options. And so it's either worshiping God or it's worshiping the devil. And whether they recognize what they worship or not, Paul made the statement, right? He's there at Mars Hill. You worship, you know not what. I saw the unknown God over here, right? Whom ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. And he preaches to him, Jesus. Because they had no idea who else that could have been. And so he says, okay, fine, I'll use that one. <laughs> you're ignorantly worshiping the unknown God, and so here he is. I'll tell you who you're missing. You're missing Jesus Christ alone. That's what the lost world's missing, and they know they're missing. They just can't figure it out. And the devil doesn't want them to figure it out. But you realize in the life of a Christian, he has, not, he has lost that part of the battle. Light came... You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got salvation. You trusted in Him. Salvation came to you. And you know what you now have? You have a different issue. He wants to stop you from getting God any glory. He wants to stop you from living a victorious life, living the way God wants you to live and doing what God wants you to do. He wants to take all that from you so that you cannot live a good life so you can't win anybody else to Jesus Christ. If He can stop you... He can go ahead and stop the gospel from being spread to anybody else. That's his goal. His goal is just to limit the damage after you got it. If I lose one, that's okay, but I don't want to lose any more. So let me wreck their life as best I possibly can and make them a, just a laughing stock to a world who would never believe. If that's the way your God is, if that's the way God told you to act, then if, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want that. I don't need that. That's just how I am. That's the sad reality. The sad reality is a lot of Christians live just like they're the lost world. And then the lost world looks at them and goes, why would I want what you have? And so you know what the, the devil does? He works in five steps. I'm going to give you the verse and I'm not, we're not going to turn. Uh, I want to hurry along and get, and get to the end so you can go home eventually today. Um, I, I might let you out by two or three. Um, I'm kidding. I promise. Uh, Number one, he works in subtleties. You find that in Genesis chapter 3 when he shows up in the garden. The devil is subtle in his ways. He does, he's not obvious. He's not looking to just blatantly run up and punch you in the face. He is subtle. He wants you to think that it's a great idea. He wants you to even think that it might even be your idea on how great this is. He's very subtle. And not only is he subtle, but he's subtle as he tempts you. He is the tempter. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Christ, he is approached by, he calls him in that passage, the tempter, right there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1, 2, 3, 4, right there where Jesus, right, 40 days in the wilderness, he comes back, he's tempted of the devil. In the passage, he's, in Luke 4, he calls him the devil. In chapter, chapter uh, in Matthew, he calls him the tempter came. Well, he's the tempter. You say, what's he going to do? He's subtly going to tempt you into getting into what he wants you to get. He's going to make it look as good as possible and draw you in. And every man is tempted. There is no exceptions to temptation. We all have temptations. 
Your temptations might not be my temptations. My temptations might not be your temptations. But everybody's got them. Your flesh wants certain things and it goes after those things. And the devil goes, okay, I can tempt him. And he puts out the temptation. He is subtle. He tempts and then he deceives. He is the deceiver. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. He is the deceiver. And as he, he gets them and he beckons them in and then he deceives them. He gets them to think something they are not supposed to think. He tricks them. Adam and Eve. He tricks Eve by deception. He looks at her and he says, hey, thou shalt not surely die. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when she got it wrong, he got her, took that fruit. And when she took that fruit and held it in her hand and it did not kill her because God didn't say anything about touching. You can touch it if you want to. You just can't eat it. And the day she touched that fruit and it didn't kill her, she goes, well, maybe there isn't anything to this. And she takes the bite. And she's condemned. Because she got deceived into thinking that something was okay. When she saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Verse 6. And gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So what happened? He deceived her into thinking that it was good. When God had drilled into them that it's bad. Deception. You ever get in the place where you saw something was good and it was really bad? Devil had you. He's subtle. He tempts. He deceives. So that ultimately, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, you know what he does? He snares. They are taken captive by him at his will. You know what the devil does? He sets the same trap over and over again, and you step in the same thing over and over again. Whenever he feels like trapping you, he knows exactly the bait. He knows exactly the place. He knows exactly how to set it up. And he sets the whole thing up and he puts it down in front of you and he goes, don't worry, they're going to walk past here again. And away you go. And he traps you again. And you may look around and you may say, oh, I can't believe I did it again. And the devil's like, I knew you were going to do it again. Why is it that he's wiser than you are? I'll tell you why. Because you won't recognize anything. He's got you blinded to what you keep doing. You know, how, you know what happens to people? We've got, we've got a, a book I, I have in my office. It's, it's particular for certain, uh, certain addictions and certain things. But it's got some great stuff in there just in general as sin. Sin is a, is, is a thing where, you know what you do? You get in the same groove of doing the same exact thing over and over again. You go to the same place, around the same people, listen to the same things, get into the same mindset, and then you go immediately to that sin. You're, we call them in, in hope, you'll hear the words triggered. There's triggers that cause you to go that direction. There's certain things that changed your mood. There's certain things that changed your thought process or certain things that got in there and they messed up and you say, what is happening? Satan's just bumping you over so that he can get you to roll straight down the same track you've been going right into the snare he wants you in. And he does it. And notice, it's not taken captive when you feel like it. It's taken captive whenever he feels like taking you. And when he wants you, he's got you so conditioned because you won't recognize the things that are keeping you from getting out of what you have kept doing. And so what he does is he just keeps nudging the Christian over and they go, okay, I'm going to bow to that. I'm going to move over just a little bit. And when they do, boom, they fall right in that rut and they can't get out. And they run the course all the way down to where he wants them. And they're snared. And he's got them trapped. And they go, I don't know how I did this again. Because it didn't happen right here at the trap. It happened back there. You're allowing something in your life that is becoming the snare. It leads you to the snare. Whether it's, whether it's people, whether it's places, whether it's things, whether it's music, whether it's this, whether it's that, whether it's the time that you spend alone. 
and you let your mind wander and whatever it is, whatever those things are, you're allowing that to continue. And so the devil goes, I'll snare them every time. If I want them, I do this, this, and this, and boom, they are there and I will take them every single time. And you go, I don't understand why I can't get victory because you won't recognize what is causing you to be there. Maybe you need to take some inventory and go, Lord, what am I doing to bring me to this place every time I fail you? And you can come down to the altar and you can cry and you can weep and you should over the fact that you have failed him. again. But the truth is you need to find out what is causing you to fail. You can come down and fix the end result over and over again. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the truth is you will never have victory until you figure out the cause of you going to the same snare that he has got you deceived into thinking you can get past. God is faithful. He promised a way to escape that you may be able to bear. But that doesn't mean once you've already gotten on the track that he's going to give you another way. He gave you a way out by you not getting into the place where you got suckered into doing what, God, what the devil wanted you to do instead. You need to figure out what that is. Anyways. I, I hate it. We deal, we deal with things all the time. Brother Larry's dealing, dealing with people over in Hope and uh, Shannon's dealing with people over in Hope and I deal with people and Pastor Legault deals with people and you watch people and they're destroying their lives. Because they can't figure out how to not get on that same track over and over again. They won't take time to figure out what is causing me to go down the same road that I have always gone down. You need to, you need to start looking into, Lord, what am I doing? What changed that made me do that again? What happened that I allowed that to go and I, I got in? If you aren't willing to look, you won't get any victories. Say, but I just don't know. Well, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Lord, what do I got to do to stop doing the same thing over and over again? And do what he tells you. Find the answers. Get in the perfect law of liberty, and it'll set you free. Anyways, I got to keep moving. I stopped right there. Longer than I planned. First Peter chapter 5, he, the last thing he was looking to do is devour you. The devil, our adversary, the devil, that's who he is, is as a roaring lion walked about seeking whom he may devour. That means he can't take everybody whom he may devour. He's looking around going, who can I get? I'll tell you, the number one person he can get is the person he can keep snared. Easy prey at that point. You're in one spot and you're trapped there. Not hard to get you at that point. And he wants to devour. He wants to destroy. He is, he is a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He is a liar and the father of it. And that is who he is. And his goal in the life of a Christian is to destroy everything he possibly can. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. The contrast is Jesus Christ. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. Lord's going, I want to give you abundant life. And the devil's going, I want to steal everything you've got and kill you. And I'll lie and cheat and do whatever I can to get it from you. And the Christian goes, well, I mean, he's just the devil. I mean, you know. And they make a joke out of it. I want you to know, he is the greatest adversary. He thinks he can rival the God of the universe. You really think he's concerned about you? Being able to take him? Michael the archangel's reply is, the Lord rebuked thee. <laughs> Michael the archangel, I mean, you see that dude, he's always got a sword strapped to him. He's ready to fight everybody. The devil shows up and he's like, the Lord, I need him to go ahead and take care of you. What do you think you've got? Now, I'm not one to go, oh man, you know, woe is me, the devil. That's not what I mean. But I mean, you need to take him serious. He is the greatest adversary you and I have. He is the most powerful thing. Now, I know our flesh gets in the way long before he ever shows up and all those things. I get that, all right? We'll cover that later, all right? But the truth is, the greatest adversary outside of you and I to ourselves is that there is the devil who is real to take and destroy everything he can possibly get his hands on in your life. 
And if he can win, he'll do it. By any means necessary. And the Christian won't stand by any means necessary. And what I mean by that is having done all to stand. The Lord told you that. Ephesians chapter 6. Put the armor on and stand. And having done all to stand, and stand against the wiles of the devil, and stand in an evil day. He tells you over and over in that passage, just stand and do everything you can to just stay standing with what God wants you to do. And the Christian doesn't do it. And then they wonder why they fail. You got Satan's scheme. I'm going to move on. Because I want to end this, alright? I like my ending. I like, I like what the Lord's got. You know, I, we have a sentence in our Constitution. If you haven't read our Constitution recently, uh, this paragraph in the Constitution that covers all this has one of the most amazing sentences at the end. I love it. It's fantastic. And uh, it, it's talking about the sentence that Satan is going to get. He is already sentenced, by the way. Judgment has already been passed. He just hasn't finished it yet. It's kind of like the lost world. They're condemned already because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God, right? Uh, they're not lost because we tell them they're lost. They're lost because God's condemned them already because they didn't believe in Him. The judgment is set. Well, the devil is set. Everything is set up for him. We understand in Matthew, he tells us that hell, a lake of fire, is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. God has already prepared the place He's going to bring the judgment and the sentence of what the devil has and what He is going to do. And God's already laid it all out. And it's all set forth. Well, our Constitution ends with this uh, on this paragraph. He is destined, however, to final defeat at the hands of God's own Son and to the judgment of an eternal justice in the lake of fire, a place prepared for Him and His angels. That is an awesome sentence. I smile every time I read that sentence. That is a wonderful thing. You realize that, that the devil is allowed right now to work? If God wants him in a lake of fire, he puts him in a lake of fire. Say, what's God doing this for? For your benefit. You realize the entirety of his plan is to benefit mankind and gain a relationship with them? He allows Lucifer because he needs Adam and Eve to have a choice. Adam and Eve make a bad choice, but they made a choice. He continues to let it go until he finishes up all the choices that mankind has to make. Dispensations. When he is done, the game is over. When God decides it's over with, he doesn't just go ahead and close it out. He goes ahead and makes sure everybody knows he's the one who won. You get to Revelation chapter 19. I'm going I'm to just breeze right on here. I'm, I'm excitable about this part. I might preach an extra minute or two just on this, all right? Uh, you'll forgive me. Revelation 19, Behold, I saw heaven open in a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and the Lord of lords. Down comes the Lord Jesus Christ. The armies which followed him in heaven are upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and down they come. He does like seven, eight verses on the whole setup of everything else. He's calling the fowls of the air to the great, the great fight that's about to happen. And you get down to the end, and it's one verse. At the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, he says that uh, he goes ahead in the beast and the false prophet, and they're cast into a lake of fire, and he takes, and everybody's done. <laughs> it was a, wasn't even a fight. I just went down there, did what I said I was going to do. That's all I do. <laughs> chapter 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years, put in a bottomless pit. What amazing is, an angel just shows up with a chain. You're like, where'd that come from? The Lord had it laying around waiting. Angel comes down and binds him with a chain, drops him in the bottomless pit and says, okay, you're going to wait there a thousand years, then I'll come back and let you out. So why would God do that? Just one more choice. One more choice for the world. I'm going to give you one more time you can choose. And they choose. He's loose for a little season and out he comes and Lucifer ultimately gets in front of, uh, he doesn't even get the great white throne judgment. You realize that? We talk about the devil coming up to the great white He doesn't even get that. You read the passage, Revelation chapter 20, it's before a great white throne with him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Lucifer's not among them. The devil's there a couple of verses earlier. And Lord just takes him and throws him in a lake of fire and doesn't even ask anything else. 
There is zero judgment. It is eternal judgment immediate. There is no extra argument. There is nothing. The devil has zero to say about the matter. Because God said, I'm done. We were playing and I'm done. And he grabs the devil and he tosses him in a lake of fire forever. And the judgment of God is immediate at that point. Now you say, well, what has God done right now? It's kind of like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin. Do they die physically immediate? No. They died though, right? They died spiritually. They lost a connection. They lost fellowship with God Almighty. They lost the spiritual. They didn't lose the physical yet. Lucifer has lost the spiritual. He has not allowed access to the third heaven. Say, well, he shows up there in Job and he's the accuser of the brethren and he does all that. He only does that because he can reach the door. You find he doesn't actually show up in heaven. He's denied that. In fact, he tells him that in Ezekiel chapter 28. He takes him out of the third heaven. He removes him from the honors that he had. Removes him from that privilege. And he may come before the throne to try and get there, but he's just sitting at the feet. Outside that realm, below that sea of glass. I'll get you other verses if you like them. But there he is. And he tries to accuse the brethren. He tries to do this. But God goes, you don't get to come up here. You're done up here. And then he says, you know what? Then I'm going to cast you to the ground. Say, what is that? End of the tribulation. He picks him up, throws him down. (laughs) Drops the beast and the false prophet into a lake of fire. And then he goes ahead and binds him for a thousand years. And everybody looks at him and goes, this is the guy we were trembling about. This is the guy, that's it? You got him chained up like he's, a, like he's a dog? He can't do anything? Are you serious? This is the guy we worried about? And God says, yeah, he's nobody. <laughs> he's nobody compared to me. Amen. Then he gives him another chance. And everybody fails again. <laughs> and God says, okay, we're done. The timetable's finished. Lucifer, judgment time. Puts him in a lake of fire and he'll never bother anybody again. He's eternally set in a lake of fire. The judgment of God is set and he is in a place prepared for him and his angels, those who followed him and were willing to rebel against the God of the universe. Now here it is. If you're in here without Jesus Christ, you don't know for sure. If I asked you today, if you know you're going to heaven... If you can't answer yes to that because Jesus Christ saved you, then you have the same judgment that the devil does right now. It's a lake of fire for all of eternity. God is such a wonderful and a loving and a merciful God. He didn't make that place for you and I. He made that for the devil. And his answer to you is that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and of great kindness. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll send my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll pay the debt of all of your sins. He'll raise from the dead so that you can have victory in not just this life, but in eternal life. And if you would ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and forgive you of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he'll do? He'll save to the uttermost. That's his promise. He'll save you. He'll wash you of your sins. He'll forgive you. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is the simplicity of the gospel that the devil does not want you to see. And if you're saved in here, the devil wants you to be blinded to the fact that you're not doing what God wants you to do. He wants, he wants to go ahead and be subtly tempting you and deceiving you into thinking that you can get by the temptations that he is giving and he's going to snare you and he's waiting just to devour you. But it's your choice. You don't have to keep getting devoured. You don't have to keep getting snared. The truth of the Bible makes it so you don't have to be deceived. And God gives you a way to escape the temptations that He puts in front of you. And His subtleties are taken care of very quickly by the bluntness of a wonderful God who answers. But Christian, you've got to decide what one you're going to do. God's not going to make you follow Him. God doesn't make you do it His way. God doesn't force you into it. 
He didn't force you to get saved. He's not going to force you to go ahead and follow Him. Instead, you get to choose. Are you going to be, are you going to be like the father, that old father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do? Or are you going to try to be like your new father? And be more like God and try and stay close to Him and learn from Him and grow with Him. The devil wants no, no, nothing less than to put you under his old master's control. Go ahead and hold on so that you will never give glory to God. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have an invitation if you're not familiar with how things go this way. The truth is, we call this place the altar up here. The altar is a place of sacrifice. But here we rend our heart and not our garments. We choose to come down and talk with God and have a moment with Him. And maybe you need to come and say, God, I, I've been going in that same rut, that same snare, that same thing. Maybe, Christian, you just think you're just, you, you've been deceived into some things and you just need His wisdom and His light and His guidance and you want to come down and get that taken care of. Maybe you go, I'm not, I haven't been the testimony and the witness I ought to be. I need to fix that. But if you're in here and you're lost this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come and we'll take a Bible. We'll have somebody take you in private, open a Bible, and we'll answer whatever questions you have. We'll show you out of the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever and your home in heaven is secured it's an eternal promise from God, and he's no liar. He's not the devil. The devil's a liar, but God is not. And God wants to save to the uttermost if you'd call upon him. It's up to you. It is a choice. Just like serving him is a choice, just like following him is a choice, just like doing what he asks is a choice. Salvation is an offer, and you can either accept it or reject it. I hope you choose to accept it if you're lost. And if you're saved, I hope you understand the devil's in for keeps. He's in for keeps. It's not a game to him. It's not a game at all. He would, he would love nothing more than to destroy you and your family and everything that you have. Father, I do pray you would help us to call upon you, help us to stay close to you, help us to be like you, help us. Father, to recognize that the devil is in it for keeps and he wants everything he can get before he's done. Father, I pray if someone here is lost, they wouldn't leave that way. They'd recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior and they'd call upon him today. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.